All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together this evening as family and the unity that you've provided from eternity past, Father. May we never become familiar with these precious gifts. Father, thank you for peace and happiness and contentment. Thank you for the truth that sets us free, and thank you for always reminding us that you love us and that it's a privilege to love the way you love even each other. Father, we pray for those still healing in our church, and we pray for those that are still lost outside. We are most grateful and thankful for your son's work on the cross to make an evening like this an evening to rejoice in. We just ask for blessings on this evening's message, and may it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Yeah, and the Lord is our confidence. Here's the theme as of late. It's been fantastic. I don't know about you, but I've been really enjoying it, uh, really enjoying even prep time, getting up in the morning uh, and getting ready to jump into this series. It's just been a lot of fun uh, to teach. And uh, you all aren't privy to the leadership meetings, but uh, I'll share one thing with you. For years now, for years now, I've been asking the Spirit when, uh, you know, when the sledgehammer was going to ease up, when uh, it was going to be more of the staff than the rod. And um, he just basically would say, it's none of your business, first of all. <laughs> but it's been real nice uh, for me to change tacks, to get away from the heavy-handedness of the past few years to more, um, more of a, a guiding type role in your life. So for whatever that's worth, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been enjoying these messages. Um, but here's one of the key principles as of late that the Spirit's been posturing us on right out of the gate uh, in each of the messages. What good are all the riches in heaven if you don't know how to spend them? Seriously, what, what good are they? I even gave you a goofy example of the, the grace card, right? Swipe, swipe, swipe. If you had a card, uh, the grace card, and it just had unlimited uh, spending limit, ceiling, if you would, you could swipe it all you want. Why wouldn't you use it? Well, that's what we have. Uh, we have riches and promises that we have access to right now. And um, a lot of people, a lot of so-called Christians are ignorant of them. And that makes me very sad, but I don't want any of you to be ignorant of them. So here's some guidance from Holy Scripture. Again, remember I'm going to be reading from the ESV, so you're going to see slight differences here and there. Go to Isaiah 55, verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, verse 1. Fifty-five, one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Without money and without price. 
He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's a good question. Why do, you, why do you labor? Why do you spend your energy on that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So the Lord, if you read Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, that's the Lord describing grace. In a nutshell, that's what grace looks like. You can purchase without cost, without price. Again, the Lord is describing grace this way. We know from Holy Scripture that grace is the currency in God's economy as opposed to creature credit in Satan's economy. Again, grace is the currency in God's economy as opposed to creature credit in Satan's. Up here on the board, James 4.6 reads, in the ESV, but he gives more or greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. As I was writing this week's blog, which is titled, The Three Pillars in Satan's Unholy Economy. The Three Pillars in Satan's Unholy Economy. I was reminded of how very queer it is for a fleshly human being to receive grace, truly, to receive it. It's odd. It's out of bounds. It's uh, uncomfortable, even, for individuals to receive grace. I mean, real grace. It's uncomfortable for the human flesh. That's something right out of the gate this evening the Spirit wants to impress on you. It's uncomfortable for the human flesh. Not the new creature. The new creature loves it. The flesh does not like it. It's, it's uh, grating to it. Because it dismantles it. It disarms it. The, whole, the nature of the flesh is that it receives accolades for itself because it can achieve, or in some of your cases, overachieve. And so your flesh loves it when you are an overachiever. But your flesh hates it when, the, when your neighbor is happier than you are and they're not doing any overachieving in the flesh. They're just receiving God's grace. Fleshly humans are offended by free gifts. Fleshly humans are offended by free gifts. It's one of the little tests I'm not saying you go out and do this, but it's definitely one that I've used in my own life. Um, one of the little tests you can give to someone is to give them something with no strings attached. And see if they are under compulsion to give something back to you. Like this. I mean, oh, here's a pie. What? Here's a mitten. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? I just wanted to give you something. They, you can see it immediately. In most cases, you can see it makes them uncomfortable. And until they can respond in kind with some other thing, they're not comfortable. It goes to show that that person, unfortunately, is still stuck in Satan's economy. 
Usually it's a religious person. If they call themselves a Christian, they're either still a religious person or they've got vestiges of religion in their soul. And so they don't know how to receive anything by grace. It's just a little test. So fleshly humans are offended by free gifts. And again, I use very strong language here, on purpose. And you might say, and it's fair, I say this as I'm uh, sort of thinking about these messages. You might say, you know, no way. I know, I know a lot of fleshly people who have no problem taking and taking and then taking some more. Some of you are already saying that. I, I know lots of people, you know, they just take, take, take. They're takers. That may be true in a lopsided sense, but what the Bible teaches us is that that is only half of the story. So that may be true in a lot, if you just stop there. Say, I know a lot of people that are, you know, happy, they're more than happy just to keep taking. What the world purposely leaves out of the discussion is that the other side, or is the other side of what it calls freeloading. What I just described to some of you would be called freeloading. You know, we have a lot of those in our society, even freeloaders. Uh, but the world purposely leaves it at that. A freeloader, though, suffers internally due to the, now concentrate, think of Satan's economy. Think of what it means to abide in that economy by the laws and the rules of that economy. A freeloader suffers internally due to the inescapable fact that under the laws of Satan's economy, the strict law of creature credit that demands payment for everything, under their own adopted laws, they suffer the realization that they haven't paid for the things they have received. So under their own law, they suffer the condemnation that they are undeserving, ineffective mooches. Ask yourself a simple question. Have you ever met, truly, met a mooch that is truly happy? Honestly. I mean truly happy. Have you ever met a mooch that is truly happy? I haven't. Never. Do not miss this point. While they tout their ability to acquire free stuff, quote-unquote, it doesn't take long to realize that's all they have to rejoice over is their so-called skill of getting free stuff. It's almost an obsession for some people. And it's funny because that ability and the outcome, that is not esteemed by their own kind in their own economy. Under their own evil laws, they know firsthand that the rest of their, quote, law-abiding citizens consider them dregs of society. You see, that's the whole truth, not just the half of it. That's the whole truth. What they don't pay for with money or whatever, or whatever it is, or time or energy, they pay for elsewhere. Because that's what their system and their economy demands.
Again, that's the whole truth, not just half of it, which is why certain social programs that keep people trapped are evil. But here's the thing. The lies from the kingdom of darkness will never fully articulate the whole story. Just some food for thought. You're not going to get all that. If you don't get it right now, take it home. Okay, go back to verse 1, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. When we read this verse, we must remember that a fleshly human is going to reject it. That's repulsive to the human flesh. Again, we must remember that a fleshly human is going to reject such statements. Why? Because the laws that govern Satan's economy are opposed to it. Creature credit cannot be exchanged for grace and vice versa. This means that a person abiding in Satan's economy is actually irritated by the very concept of grace. A person abiding in Satan's economy is actually irritated by the concept of grace, and especially irritated by those of us who abide in God's economy, where grace is the currency. That drives them berserk. Why? Because they don't have the misery. They're not dragging around misery. We're not dragging around misery. They are. We're not dragging around that anchor that they've got around their neck. So I challenge you all to go home this evening and ponder what the Spirit's saying here. It's deep, but not that deep. It just takes a little time to mull over. Why do people reject grace? Why would anyone reject grace? And yet that's what they do, starting with the gospel every single day. Read Romans 1. We know that it's an active thing that they do. Active voice, present tense. They reject the gospel of grace. Hmm. So go home and think about all that stuff. And as you're doing so, remember that lies from the kingdom of darkness are most often partial truths, which is why we call them counterfeits up here on the board to help drive that home. On the topic of deceit, we had, what, 75 parts on the deceitfulness of sin. Did a lot of work on deceit. But here we go again. Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Satan's satisfied uh, with half-truths. Counterfeits are most effective when they look the most authentic. Satan uses counterfeits to deceive us, mixing the truth with lies. A perfect and very fundamental example is what I just attempted to describe to you. The fruit of counterfeit, uh, counterfeiting always results in misery, for that is the domain of sin and of spiritual death, after all. Again, the fruit of counterfeiting always results in misery. That is the domain of sin and of spiritual death, after all. And I was thinking about that, so reflect with me. In order to respectfully thrive 
in Satan's economy, a person has to generate currency through personal labor. I mean, no one outside is going to just elevate you, right? You have to exert yourself. You have to generate through personal labor some form of currency. We call that creature credit in Satan's economy. So to respectfully thrive in Satan's economy, a person has to join the game, exert themselves, grab a few chits, you know, some currency, some creature credit, uh, you know, work on your intelligence, work on your looks, work on your job, work on money, work on you name it. Whatever it is that the, the world system is demanding that you expend all your energy, energy towards, that's the thing you have to do. This is the exhausting part of Satan's economy. So, at the end of the day, people abiding in his economy are trashed, malcontent, and miserable. And what do they have to show for it? Go to Matthew 6.19. Matthew 6.19. What do they have to show for it? Seems like a, it seems like there's a lot of hustle and bustle out there. Is that not true? Seems like people are really active in pursuit of creature credit. Seems like that, that's a, what an economist would say, a thriving economy, right? Of course, there's carnage everywhere, but nonetheless, it's a thriving economy. Matthew 6:19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What do people who treasure things earned? Uh, through Satan's economy, actually have at the end of the day? What do they have? What does a person who has spent time to earn treasure in Satan's economy, what do they actually have at the end of the day? Well, it certainly isn't peace and contentment, because those are blessings reserved for the humble. Didn't we just read that in James 4, 6? Yeah. The arrogant person functions in Satan's economy. The humble one in God's. So any of the fruit that comes from God's economy, the things we get to enjoy in his economy, by grace, are not available in Satan's economy. They're all counterfeits. If it's happiness, it's fleeting. If it's contentment, it's fleeting. We have eternal life. Hello? That impregnates all of those things. If it's love, it's fleeting. It's counterfeit. It's always a counterfeit over here. You have that high, right? You have that, that spike, like some of you can relate to. You have that spike. What comes after the spike in Satan's economy? And the higher the spike, the bigger they are, the harder they what? Fall. So you have all new high, and that's what most people do. They keep on reaching for new heights. Higher and higher and higher. Well, I, just, I must need just a little more money or a little more approbation from the world, or a little more this, or a little more that. I need a little more love in my life. And they just keep raising the bar. And it's so stupid because every time, eventually, what happens here? And the higher you go, the, fall, the farther you fall. Hmm. So what do you have at the end of the day? It's not peace and contentment, because those are blessings reserved for the humble. 
a.k.a. God's children. What they have is a big old pile of awful reminders as to what their life has consisted of. Futility, striving after the wind, to borrow from Solomon. Striving after the wind. Hopefully, as we are all evangelists, before they die, they realize this simple truth and repent. But I was thinking about that even. Just think of America. We can all relate to Americans, right? We're Americans. We, we, we want them to see the truth. We want to be able to evangelize them. We want them to willingly put the old self aside, willingly eject from that, from Satan's economy to God's economy, right? That's our hope and prayer for people that are still lost. But that's a pretty tall order, it seems. It's difficult for, say, a 70-year-old man to admit that all of his earnings, quote-unquote, whatever they may be, are scubalon, dung, a la Philippians 3.8. That's really hard for an older person to admit that all the things that they worked for, excuse me, all the treasures, to borrow from Matthew, all those treasures that they stockpiled are garbage. That's really hard to admit, which is why it's hard sometimes to evangelize people that have been stuck. Why do you think that when we present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the gospel of grace, people steeped in Satan's economy, especially the wealthy ones, and wealthy doesn't always mean money, it could be uh, even uh, reputation or some form of creature credit. Maybe they're really handsome or really smart or something that's esteemed and they've put all their self-esteem into. That's their currency. That's their creature credit currency in the world. So they're wealthy in some level of creature credit. People steeped in Satan's economy, especially the wealthy ones, they're so caustic towards we evangelists when all we're trying to do is reveal God's grace. We don't even say, hey, you've got to buy this Bible for me for me. So I can evangelize you. We don't even say, give me 50 cents for this track. We don't say any of that. We say this is totally free. As I started class off, they'd prefer you charge them. But that's a whole other story. You can think about that on your own. As strange as that sounds, it's totally true. All we're trying to do is reveal God's grace, something totally free, right? But, like I said earlier, grace is offensive to these people. It's offensive to these people. Don't believe me? I'm, I would never do this, but I could do it. And eventually I, I would be willing to bet that this place would fill up if I just taught tithing. I just got a little bit religious. Hey, Bible says give 10%. People would be like, oh, you mean there's a works program? Yeah, sounds like creature credit, doesn't it? Yeah, I like that. My flesh can function in that. My flesh is attracted to that kind of religion. Hmm, I'd never do that, but 
That's what I believe to be true. Grace is offensive to these people. It's hard to believe that anyone would object to anything truly free. But you see, that is precisely what the Bible teaches us about Satan's economy and its disciples. Again, I challenge each of you to ponder this long and hard on your own time. I know there's more meat on this bone. It's up to you. You have to go after it. This is just one of those things you're going to have to spend ample time on, thinking about. There's just a lot of nuances to it. But what I'm telling you is the truth, and it's biblically rooted. This kind of wisdom that I'm sharing takes time to develop. And if you haven't already seen, some of you are like, I, I know this. This is, this is true. I get it. I see it. If you haven't already seen what I'm describing here this evening, be encouraged. It's like a light switch flicking on when God grants this wisdom to your soul. But I will warn you, if you're not there yet, I will warn you, once that light switch is flipped, you will feel much more alienated from this world. And it's gone for good. There's no going back. Once that, and that's why some of you are like, I don't know if I want to flip that switch. Because that means I'm going to be lonelier or more alienated, you know, blah, blah. Once that switch is flipped, you will feel more alienated from this world. And even your current affections for the things and people in this world will be distanced from you. And that's all from your own perspective. They may stand still, but you're being delivered. Why does that all happen? Because all of a sudden, things will become crystal clear to you. And you will see the big picture, truth, that's all around us. That is, that we literally, not sort of, we literally live in a world that is completely entrenched in a lie. It's not kind of, it's not sort of, it's literally entrenched in a lie. That lie has roots all the way back to Satan himself. Ask yourself, what did Satan want? Let's go on a little journey now. What did Satan want? Isaiah 14, 14 says to be like the Most High, to be like God. What does this fallen creature promise to his disciples in his economy? The same thing. The same thing. You can be your own God, but you've got to work for it. You've got to rally for it. You've got to get other people to rally behind you. You've got to have enough chits of creature credit in the, in the little bucket there that's called you. Eventually you'll get there. Maybe when you're 70 years old. Maybe you'll be the next Bill Gates. You know, the, the billionaire atheist that's going to burn in hell unless he repents and believes in Christ. That, you'll be like that. For sound perspective on all this, all you have to do is recall man's original sin. Go to Genesis 3, verse 5. This is what I absolutely love about Genesis. It's what I love about the account of the fall. It covers everything. 
everything you need to know about why you are the way you are in your flesh, here you have it. And by the way, the blog speaks directly to this. Just to be complimentary. Just to drive the point home. So what I love about Genesis. Genesis 3.5. Satan's lying here, right? The woman already explained, listen, I can't eat from that tree because I'll die. God said so. Satan says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Oh, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sound familiar? Up here on the board. Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Does that sound familiar? Wasn't that the same sales pitch he gave the woman in the garden? Exact same sales pitch. You will be like God. That was his dream. And it was unholy. This is the same lie that Satan pitched to the woman in the garden. We just read it. Hmm. I hope your synapses are firing on all cylinders right now because these are pearls among pearls. These are the, this is the wisdom that opens your eyes. Truly, that sets you free. Will you make step function uh, improvements in sanctification? Will you go from here, sort of semi-blindness, to, oh my word, the world around me is buried in a lie. Everything I thought was true is a big fat lie. Everything that I was working for is a big old lie. <laughs> and then everything changes. And then you scratch your head for a little while. And say, now what? If you take the, ten the time to ponder the things I presented to you this evening to the point where God grants you said wisdom, you will be set free in ways you never even thought possible. How do I know? Because the Word of God says so. I'm not some cult leader. I'm not trying to jazz you up after two, three years of getting beat. <laughs> this is the actual truth from the Word of God. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Everything I say, I say with confidence because it's in the Word of God. I couldn't teach it in good faith otherwise. First Corinthians two nine. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of imagine of man imagined. First Corinthians two nine. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The heart of man imagined not, there's a big old nor in front of that, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's do a little work on this Greek word, anabino, imagined, up here on the board. It means to go up, to ascend, 
carries with it a perspective change. It means you're here and then you're there. You've got to keep that down a little bit, ma'am. You're here and then you're there. And here's the key. Focus on this. Denotes a recovery of sight. Think about that. Think about the fall in the garden for a moment. It denotes a recovery of sight. Hmm. Think about what was lost at the fall in the garden. Think about what was lost. Okay? And we're going to walk through this slowly, so please pay attention. Think about first what was lost in the fall in the garden. In a very real sense, mankind was promised greater sight. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll know more now than you know then, after you sin, than you do now. Was that not the promise? God knows your eyes are going to be open, and you'll be just like Him. You'll know even more. That was the promise, was it not? The promise was for greater sight. But you had to reject God. You had to sin. But let's focus on the greater sight part. Let's focus on the promise that appeals to the flesh. Does that not sound like every single time we get tempted? Every time we fail and we know better? Don't worry about the repercussions. Don't think about the fact that you're uh, denouncing everything you know to be true and right and righteous in Christ Jesus. Don't think about that. Think about the, what's in front of you, the, you know, the carrot. Ooh. Right? It, he promised them greater sight. But they had to sin. But here's the kicker. In reality, they lost sight. So the promise was to gain sight. The reality was they lost sight. Hmm. Hold your thumb there. Go to 1 John 2, verse 11. 1 John 2, verse 11. Hold your thumb. We're going to go back there. 1 John 2, verse 11. Just think about that. The promise was additional sight. The result was loss of sight. Was blindness. Huh. 1 uh, John 2, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, up here on the board, anabino means, excuse me, for imagined, means to go up, to ascend, carries with it a perspective change from darkness to light, in other words. Denotes a recovery of sight. In other words, well, we're going to go back to where we maybe were before the fall. A recovery of sight. You were born blind. You were born in darkness. You were born under the domain of sin, right? You couldn't even imagine what God has in store once you fall in love with Him. You can't imagine it. But Adam and Eve, before the fall, didn't have to imagine it. They had that sight. Hmm. So I hope you see what I see here. 
You should see that imagined here harkens back to man's original condition before the fall, at least a glimpse of it. Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, where we were. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Hmm. Before the fall in the garden, man was 100% in love with God. Today, we can only imagine such things before we are given spiritual insight and divine perspective as children of God. Do we have perfect vision right now? No. But it's better than the state we were born into, which was utter blindness. The truth is that as believers, we do have some vision, and it is mind-blowing. We've had some recovery of sight. Let me take you back to our previous thought now regarding the separation and the distancing you're going to feel, if not already, when you have that aha moment regarding why anyone would ever be opposed to grace. It just doesn't seem right, does it? You think about that, the first time you hear that, you're like, what? If you're a new believer, you say, what? Who doesn't want free stuff? You, you might be shocked. All of Satan's economy doesn't. They say they do. They say they're getting free lunch, but nothing's ever for free over here. There's always some recourse, if not in sweat and toil, then in blood. <laughs> but over here, everything's truly free by grace. And you have to work that out in your soul because we're not of the world, but we're in it. Most of you, it's only a Wednesday. Most of you, as far as I know, are going to go back to work tomorrow and be thrust back into this, this, this lion's den, if you would, this, this awfulness called the world system, where, the, the, where Satan's economy is thriving. What is the problem? Fundamentally, it's that people abiding in Satan's economy are blind. It's that simple. People abiding in Satan's economy are blind. I want to look at another example of this, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Go to Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Acts 26, verse 14. It's a perfect example of this topic of blindness. Acts 26, verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Acts 26, 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, 
For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those uh, in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. To what? Here it is. To open their eyes. Why would they need their eyes open? Because they're blind. They're blind to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness. We just noted darkness earlier. That they may turn from that darkness to the light and from the power of Satan to God. That about wraps it up in a nutshell. Go home. I'm just kidding. We've still got a little time left. But that about wraps it up in a nutshell. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. There's some grace for you. Some people can't even take that. What do I have to do to receive sins? Remember like the rich guy? What do I have to do to, earn, to, to gain eternal life? What do I have to do? The focus, what do I have to do? Hmm. That's grace for you. Or that's uh, uh, someone who doesn't understand grace, isn't yet ready to receive grace. But this is God's intention, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The lie that resulted in this blindness was actually a promise for sight. Think about that. Thousands of years later, think about it. It's the same problem. The lie that resulted in this kind of blindness that we just read in verse 18 was actually a promise for sight. Your eyes are going to be opened. You'll be like God. And the lights went out. Ah, dwell on that. The lie that resulted in blindness was actually a promise for sight. Here's the principle up here on the board. How lies work in your life. Lies promise the same outcome as truth. That's where they get you. In fact... Our language has been completely hijacked by Satan's agencies. Ask the average Christian what, um, what love is. They'll give you some what? Emotional thing? Uh, in fact, our language has been completely hijacked by Satan's agencies in the Garden of Eden, the woman was promised sight, but actually lost it. Beware you don't fall into the same trap. Example given. If the promise of happiness is based on a lie, you can bet on losing it. If you're being lied to by the world economy, everyone, I turn the TV on. I don't have one, by the way. That's a lie. I actually do. It's in the basement. Turn your TV on. But I don't have cable, so... Turn your TV on. You want to you lie? You're like, boy, what lie is he talking about? Just turn your TV on. Or open up your browser on that ridiculously large smartphone that doesn't even fit in your pocket anymore. Turn that thing on. Just hit anything on Google. Say, Google, surprise me. I think that button's still there. Surprise me. And it'll give you, like, anything. You just open it up. You're like, yep, there's a lie. Right? 
And when you get all your results over here in the margin where Google makes a lot of their money is on advertising, there's a lie, there's a lie, there's a lie, there's a lie. You know, uh, get better hair, get hair. Uh, get, get better in relationships. Be, you want to find love? Yeah, go to, go to match.com. You'll definitely find love on there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yep. Yep, just a big old list of lies. You don't have to go very far, in other words. Lies promise the same outcome as truth. Our language has been, though, hijacked by Satan's agencies. In the Garden of Eden, the woman was promised sight, but actually lost it. That's our pattern. Beware you don't fall into the same trap. If the promise of happiness is based on a lie, you can bet on losing it. Not kind of, not sort of, because that kind of happiness that I'm talking about is a grace gift from God, alone, in His economy. So if you dabble in this economy and you're saying, but there's happiness here, you will lose it and you'll be way up here. And what happens the higher you go, the further you fall. That is a fact. Because here's the thing. Alert, news alert, news break. God has the market cornered on everything good. Everything good is from where? Up above. No shifting shadow. It's never changed. It will always be like that. You want happiness? You have to be in God's economy. You want contentment and peace? You have to be in God's economy. You want to know what true love is? You have to be in God's economy. Do not seek any of those things under the definitions that the world gives you. Because the world's going to say, oh yeah, you can have happiness and peace and love, everything. We got, a, we got all of that. It's like going to a circus, right? Or, you know, we got all of that. Or, you know, I don't know. You, you, ever, you ever get a, like, you know, you get your eye on a certain product and then somebody who's selling like a really cheap version of it is like, we can do all that. We too can do all of that. Right? And we won't, we'll only charge you half. Beware. Let me see if I can drive this home a little more by making it more practical and, and, and tangible. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just really, I mean, this is the, the headline. How, does, how do lies work in your life? Right? That's all we're trying to do is just think about how these economies uh, influence us and the choices we have to make. Suppose you are single and you buy the lie that dating someone, as opposed to courting for marriage, will actually make you happy. Suppose you just buy that lie. Suppose that's you for a moment. So you buy this lie that dating someone, which is actually ungodly, will actually make you happy. So you walk down this path, and maybe even eventually, let's say you even have sex. That's lie number two in this little story. You and your partner continue to lie to each other, and yourselves, by supposing this relationship will bring you happiness. But lo and behold, all it brings you is insecurity and more misery, even more than you had before the two of you met. How do I know that? Because it's not in God's economy. That's all I know. God will not bless it because it is against His holy doctrines for happiness. It's against the definition of happiness. It's a counterfeit lie. 
So, you are left holding a bag of scubalon. Let's go ahead and visualize it. Nice and warm, fresh, a little moist, right? It's not even in a plastic bag. It's in a, in a burlap bag. Just to make it nice and, uh, you know, visual for you. That's what you're left holding. And it's in the form of another person in that case. You're like, what a turd. And they say, you're a turd. Why don't we end this? I don't know what happened. I always pick the wrong ones. Yeah, because you're shopping over here, moron. You're in Satan's economy, expecting happiness and love. These are two mutually exclusive economies. Do you understand? Mutually exclusive. That means if it was a Venn diagram, there would be no intersection. None. None of that little, you know, overlap with the football and, oh, you know, there's some, I can put my foot in. No, nothing. This one's over here. That one's over there. You want to crash and burn? You go over here. You want to bring glory to God? Christ over the church? You pursue marriage over here. Not that ugly, disgusting thing Americans call dating. So you have to ask yourself, how'd that all work out for you? If that was you, how'd that all work out? In retrospect, you realize that you purchased a lie. In fact, you both did. And you paid the price. The thing you were promised, you ready? Here's, that, here's this key element of tonight's message that keeps coming back, right? And it all started with the original sin. The thing you were promised was precisely the thing you forfeited in the end. Let me say it again. The thing you were promised was precisely the thing you forfeited in the end. You lost that which we were pursuing by fleshly means. You lost that which you were pursuing by fleshly means. That is the pattern that traces all the way back to the fall in the garden. That's why we love Genesis so much. Because that's all we need to know. That's all we need to know. It's not complicated. And just for example, just to be fair, not to pick on people uh, that have failed in one area, some could be, or the same could be illustrated with a person who spends all their precious time working, you know, like with their hands or at work, like at a job, to find happiness through wealth. Or the person who feels the need to befriend every other human being on the planet in order that they feel liked. doesn't even matter if that person despises God. That's a lie. Or the person who believes the lie being peddled in the churches nowadays, that the Bible needs to catch up with the times. Oh, that one gives me the shivers. The Bible needs to catch up with the times. Are you kidding me? All of these are fine examples of the point on the board. How lies work in your life. Lies promise the same outcome as truth. In fact, our language has been completely hijacked by Satan's agencies. In the Garden of Eden, the woman was promised sight, but actually lost it. Beware you don't fall into the same trap. For example, if the promise of, you fill in the blank, is based on a lie, you can bet on losing it. If it's a promise 
from God. And it's based on a lie. It means it's been counterfeited. You can bet that you're going to lose the one you're supposedly after. The good one. You're going to lose it. You can bet on it. You can bet every cent you've got on it. Because God is not a God of confusion. He's never said not once. You can be over here functioning in Satan's economy and have access to all my blessings. He's never said that. Not even one, not even close. Matter of fact, it's very strong language that keeps these two things far apart from one each other, from each other, so there's no confusion. What do we do? We like to purposely stay ignorant or purposely act like lawyers, hasatan, that means attorney, right? To find loopholes to bring them close together. Right? And we stretch as far as we can, our fingertips on each one, right? I got, I got my grip in this one. I got, I got my grip in this one. Woo, see, I did it. Oh. <laughs> right? And you tear apart at the seams and you, you can't do it. What, I mean, this is impossible, by the way, but that's what we attempt, right? The Bible also says you can't serve two masters, right? This is an impossibility. You have to make a choice. Okay, one last time before we run out of time, but we're having a good time. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9. Got a little tense there, so I had to loosen you up. Didn't mean to, you know. 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Go ahead and go all the way back to the before the fall where they didn't have to imagine. Up here on the board. Again, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Imagine from anabino. It means to go up, to ascend, carries with it a perspective change, denotes a recovery of sight. So, in what little time we have left, i got about four minutes. Let's pull this all together now. Step back and consider the big picture. Let's begin in the garden where all of this began for mankind. So in your mind, go there. Okay, here we were in the garden. Everything was awesome. We loved God, two of us, right? Mankind loved God. Everything was good. Our parents bought a lie from the one who had already bought it himself, namely Satan. That lie promised equality with God, something to be gained through having one's eyes opened. In other words, it promised sight. What was actually promised, though, turned out to result in blindness, the exact opposite. Satan is the god of this world, and he is the father of lies. So this is exactly what we would expect up here in the board. Satanic lies produce the exact opposite of what they promise. Anything in Satan's economy, I don't care what the term is, love, peace, happiness, relation, good relationship, whatever that thing is that God has cornered, that really is, in any good sense of the word, intrinsic good sense of the word, is under the domain of God. Just because you have the same name, do not be deceived. 
That's, I've taught you this many times over the years. That is one of Satan's favorite ploys, is to just use the same language. How many people have you met in your life that say they believe in Jesus, and then you turn around and they don't know anything about the gospel? That's why it's up to you to probe. You don't just say, hey, you don't just say to somebody, right, because you could be contributing to the delinquency of the ignorant. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I do. All right, let's go have a drink. Ask the next question. What do you mean? Well, who is Jesus? And what did he do for you? Why do you, why do you, what do you mean? Do you need him? Did you need him? Or do you just believe in him? You just think he was a swell guy who died on the cross for your sins? I mean, what does that mean to you? Have you repented? Does any of this make sense? That's the conversation you've got to have with someone. You've got to go deeper than that. Because they could be buying a lie just because the word Jesus. I mean, I know a guy down the street. His name's Jesus. I know Jesus. Why is nobody laughing? Only Scott laughed at that. Only the evangelist would get that. It must be evangelist humor. I know Jesus, right? There's a bunch of Jesuses out there. Right? The, the Bible says there's a, there's a whole nother Jesus. There's a counterfeit Jesus from a, from a different spirit who peddles a different gospel. Supposedly the same Jesus, though. Do not buy the lie just because a word is there. Satanic lies produce the exact opposite of what they promise. This is the very nature of lies. Lies, and I think I'll have to leave you with this. Yeah, I think I'll leave you with this. Satanic lies produce the exact opposite of what they promise. I think that's been the theme tonight anyways. You can bet on it, in other words. Shop for those things here, you can bet you're going to lose them. The thing you're supposedly after, you can bet you're going to lose it if you're shopping for it in the wrong economy. Lies produce the exact opposite of what they promise. That is the very nature of lies. Lies represent temptation, but here's the thing I'll end with. We don't have to believe them, do we? Are you not, are you not able to take, the, take it to the distance? You have to believe them? No, of course not. Lies produce the exact opposite of what they promise. We don't have to believe them. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this privilege of gathering together and learning your word. Thank you for always bringing the truth to the light in our souls and never really holding anything back, Father. We're just so grateful that you sanctify us the way you promised you would. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out and back to our homes, to a, a world that's just decaying and negative and rejecting our Lord and Savior, your Son. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.